Oh, I'm excited about the future of the music industry in OKC. Our little scene has just seen a lot of development in the last like three years, right before COVID. These yeah. these music venues have like really established themselves, and mm-hmm. we've got big names like the Jones Assembly, Tower Theater, Criterion that are bringing these awesome acts in. And I mean, after COVID, now they kind of had a year to plot and scheme. Yeah. And and the Tower Theater is a good example of that. Like their recent campaigns are really yeah. cool. They're real they're being really explosive with with what's coming out right now. Yeah. And the Jones Assembly as well is is also doing a big social media push and I just think that's really cool and I really look forward to all of the stuff that's being yeah. pushed right now. Oh, yeah. venues. Well, I mean, I'm really excited that like a whole bunch of local bands are getting to play tower theater. That's just like a really cool, like it is a really awesome experience just to play tower theater. Cause I, I don't know. It's, um, that was my first gig with Johnny Manchild and I had not played the tower theater yet. And it was one of the bigger venues that I've ever played, Mm. excluding, you know, outdoor festivals and stuff. It feels different when you're in a closed room with everybody and you can, and you can see them really well. And I started the set, you know, just playing out and do a ambient guitar loop. Mm -hmm. And as I go out there, the crowd started chanting, Chris, Chris, Chris. And I was, I was freaking out <laughs> my very first show it was um yeah that's that's a good way to start it was daunting yeah well i mean there's like the other first shows which is like you know oh hey guys i'm like playing over here and then like three people show up and one of them's your mom and stuff right. like that so i was like yeah it's, it's a good the the first band shows versus like 10 bands later sh- first show <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> now now you kind of know what you're doing <laughs> The, I was actually at the um, Don't Tell Dina album release show last night, um, which great show, great album. It's called Cautious Optimism. Listen to it. It's really good. I haven't uh, listened to it yet, but Tal- Talon uh, had a hand in that, and I'm pretty co- close friends with him. I need to listen to it. Yeah. And I know, I, have, I know a lot of the dudes in Don't Tell Dana, too, because I actually recorded a couple of them when they okay. were, like, really young. I think they were in middle school, and I was maybe just starting in high school, and wow. we recorded on Cubase at my friend's house, and it turned out really bad, but we all experimented together back then. And we didn't even know each other. They were, they just kind of wanted to record, and we were like, I think we're offering recording. Yeah. It didn't turn out, but that's well, that's mean, how I met some of the guys in Don't Tell Dana. <laughs> but, but that's, like, you have to, especially in, like, middle school and high school, it's, like, everyone's just kind of, like trying stuff. I have this like old ass recording of like one of the first songs or like the first song I ever like finished. It is awful. Like I still have it. It's on my hard drive and I just like go back to it and just cringe. But at the same time, it's like I had to start somewhere. And that was like in high school. And it's like, how neat that like I was able to I think I recorded it in like audacity at a friend's house. So that's yeah. It's into like one of those like desktop like webcam mics or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had, I had, it was essentially like a quarter inch input. So you could plug in a guitar cable and then the other end was a USB input into the computer. <laughs> and it was just a cable. There was no interface yeah, at all. It was yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, especially like now knowing like, oh wow. What it, what's a preamp, you know? <laughs> uh, but anyways, like, I was talking to uh, some people about how, like, yeah, the the music scene, the people in the music scene are really supportive about the music scene. But then, like, 
and this is a topic that keeps coming up on the podcast is like, how do we get non-musicians to understand that there's a music scene and be as supportive as the musicians are with the other musicians, yeah. even though they may not be a musician themselves. There are so many people in the music scene that I feel like enjoy it the same way we do, yeah. but don't understand how they can make a difference and be more involved. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of just like friends, like people's friends that like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't do any music, but like, I know the guys in this band. And so like, I go out to their shows and it's really cool. And it's like, all right, let's take that and like take it a step further and be like, I don't know anything about music, but I like going to shows and seeing local bands and just turning it into that. Make it make it a thing, less of a thing yeah. that you're you do occasionally and more of a thing that is like set. And there's a group of people that all agree. Yes, we're set and we should commit to doing these things. Yeah, because I feel like. I don't know, maybe this is, and I don't go to bars very much, but like in some sense in the back of my mind, I feel like when people like go up to the door and it's like, hey, cover charge. And I'm like, oh, there's a band playing? Never mind. Let's go to a different bar. Yeah. And it's like, why not? Like, this is part of the experience of you going out is seeing live music and local bands. And I mean, yeah, not every local band is like the greatest but like if you get involved a little bit and check out like what's in the scene you might be able to know it's like oh crap like i've heard these people's songs on spotify and like they're really cool and i do want to see them live and i can support them by paying the cover charges like normalize just without thinking supporting your local artists yeah <laughs> that'd be nice <laughs> <laughs> And then I think the other thing is, like, I don't know, like, being, I guess it's hard to keep playing the same venues over and over again. Like, there's... Even if it's, like, some of the really nice ones, once you play there, like... You've played there five times. It's like, man, how do I make this fresh? Yeah, exactly. It's and not it's just for you, but for the audience as well. Yeah, and it, like, cool, maybe, I don't know, there's a weird line, too, because there's, there's like, the, like, the lifers who, uh, like, play every week or something. Right. And they're, it's like. It's their job. Yeah, it's their job, and they're doing it every night, and they do, like, mostly covers and stuff like that, and it's, like, that's a, that's a separate kind of mentality from, like, what we do as original music right like the the band johnny manchild and the poor bastards hasn't played in a year yeah like we did a live stream a couple live stream shows and then we have our album release show coming up on november 5th yeah but that's it yeah. like it's because and it's because you know we want that album release show to be huge we want every, yeah. everybody needs to come to it and there's people driving from out of state out of country mm -hmm. to come and see us us play there and it's just um, I totally forgot where we were coming from with that. Right. But <laughs> well, it's like but, we don't just play shows to play right. shows. We don't play shows for the money. We play shows f for the music yeah. kind of because we want that to be impactful. Yeah. We're not we're not playing because we need to pay our bills every weekend. It's like that's that's a different kind of supporting mm -hmm. supporting the lifers. Yeah. The people that play every weekend at, you know, that one bar. 
yeah. and they play covers and they do it really well. Yeah. Definitely, definitely go support them. But then there's also the people who only have like one show a year and they're releasing an album and please, please come to that because, right. <laughs> <laughs> because no offense to the, to the lifers and the weekenders, but that weekend come to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and that's the thing too. It's like, I don't know. There's not enough festivals and stuff for like us to end like festivals don't really pay anyway. So <laughs> festivals are just a good time. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's like, thanks for the exposure, I guess. Yeah. People die of exposure. Uh, <laughs> but like the, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing. Cause like, all right. And for me too, like, all right, I've seen you guys play this set five times because it's like, yeah, we're, we're a band and we play shows because we like have to, I guess. Like, why do we play shows? This is the music that we're trying to kind of promote. This is the album yeah. that we want everybody to hear. Sorry you had to hear it in the same order more than one time (laughs) because we played, you know, two shows one weekend to another and we couldn't have fit a practice and do a whole new set. Right. (laughs) But it's like that's – I don't know. It's weird for the consumer as well because it's like, yeah, I love this band. It's like, all right, well, we're playing this venue, this venue, this venue, this venue, the same like five venues that we always play and we're playing it like, you know, every other week for the next – three months and it's like, yeah, I want to support you. But like, this is just it. <laughs> uh, just, I'll, I'll keep it fresh. I'll spit a water bottle out on, out in the crowd. Like, like the big bands, I'll bite the head off a bat. No, well, that's animal cruelty. I won't do that. Rubber, rubber bat, rubber ducky. Sure. Yeah. Bite the head off of it. Keep it fresh. Yeah. Very entertaining. <laughs> uh, <laughs> opaque, that jazz group. I was going to say like, quartet but now it's like a big ass group uh they have a, a song called rubber ducky rubber ducky <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i don't know and it's hard that like every band that you know and love was once a local band <laughs> they just eventually got to the point to where they started not playing in their own city mm-hmm. <laughs> And I mean, you guys were about to. <laughs> oh man, that was rough. We were, we had just started our tour and we were packing up the van to leave Oklahoma City mm. and everyone was in it and we're on social media and we're like, man, this, uh, this outbreak is getting pretty bad. Oh yeah. It's in the U.S. now. Day two. Guys, this is not good. <laughs> and <laughs> I think we were in Chicago when we were talking about cutting the tour early. And then the day that we left Chicago, it hit Chicago super bad. We're like, is it following us? <laughs> it was, it, was uh, it sucked. We had to cut our tour uh, like six shows early. And a, a lot of crazy stuff started falling apart on that tour. The shows that we did play were really, really good. Yeah. We got to play in a in a studio in Chicago. So it wasn't a venue. It was packed. Very, very fun. Um, and <laughs> there was a part where Johnny was like going to throw out the set list. And this dude jumped over another dude and like landed on top of him catching it. It was like a basketball scenario where he's going for the rebound. He just flipped over the other guy and the guy like caught him and the set list. It was hilarious. That's, that's a cartoonish image in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Probably against fire code how many people were in there, but it was a great time. 
They'll never know, even though we're recording this That's and fine. putting it out publicly. <laughs> but I don't know. Like There was another venue that we were supposed to go to on that tour, and it burnt down. That tour was wild. So we really look forward to the next tour that's yes. going to go very well, and there yes. will be no pandemics or epidemics or any demics. <laughs> yeah. We're vaccinated. We're vaccinated. It's yes. all good. We've passed the the decade mark, so like the pandemic is over. You know, wait for the next ten years for the next pandemic. <laughs> Un- unless you know, uh, bioterrorism. You know, <laughs> COVID twenty. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I, it would be COVID twenty one at this point. Oh, that's right. We were unless did it, have a yeah, unless it started last year and we just didn't. There's also like the new variants and stuff like that, but you know, <laughs> there's nothing to be scared about, right? We're all good now. We can just not wear masks in public and, and I mean, be not not to scare anybody, but there was a small numbers jump for specifically Oklahoma, yeah, well, the, like two days ago or something like that. Right. Well, it's like it's not. You can't like prove to anyone that you're vaccinated or whatever. But at the same time, it's like just, just don't stop washing your hands, though. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's something we should all continue doing. Right. And I mean, I guess if you don't believe in it and you get it, maybe you will believe in it. Probably. <laughs> Hopefully not die. But like, you know, someone's got to learn a lesson somehow. <laughs> I'm fine. got dark. <laughs> I'm fine. This is, this is nothing. <laughs> Anyways, um, I guess we also wanted to talk a little bit about like the creative process. I think that was one of the things. So like, what is your creative process? And I guess if you're still writing songs for you, is there a difference between the like McNug stuff? <laughs> versus like the Chris Slashley stuff. Absolutely. There's like three writing processes that yeah. I have adopted through my experience as a musician with bands, writing solo, and then working on more produced music or electronic music or pop. Yeah. Um, so with band, uh, being in a band is you really have to feel the room. You have to feel out, you know, Especially when you have a band with like seven people, it's very different than if you're in a band with like three people, yeah. uh, especially on guitar. Because if you're in a band with three people on guitar, you've got a lot of space to fill yeah. and you're going to need to play a lot more and just in general be a lot more present in the mix because you're probably the melody and, uh, and like the decent rhythm chunk guitar, of the rhythm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, versus if you're playing in like a seven-piece band with horns, you can't step on the horns. There's a lot of mid-range muddling that can happen uh, for, for like a low horn part and a guitar part if you end up not playing unison. So sometimes it's just better to not play at all in a, in a seven-piece band, especially on a guitar. Especially if it's like heavier music, like Johnny Manchild yeah. can get sometimes. You don't you don't always need to play. The piano and the horns can always can always take that up. So it's a lot of feeling the room with the band. Yeah. And you know, asking questions, especially to the person maybe who wrote the song. Yeah. To make sure that you know you're fitting the vibe and you're not just showing off or you're being distasteful in any way. So be tasteful, be tactful. And uh, always listen and ask questions. Yeah, and be, serve the song. Yes, be open and serve the song. Uh, then solo, I, I just sit down with a guitar and I usually just start by just 
playing around with finger picking. Mm. That's that's typically uh, how writing some of my solo songs go. Other times I will actually just have like a song, like you wake up and you have like yeah. lyrics and a melody in your head and it, was, it came straight from your dream and you're like, okay, now I have to find the chords that I can't remember from my dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, sometimes you just have a song fully in your head and you're just trying your best not to get in the way of yourself and let that come out. I always refer to that part of the creative process as like the way I think it was Michelangelo did. It was just like, was it Michelangelo? Damn it. Uh, (laughs) One of the Ninja Turtles. Uh, Yeah. Chiseling away at the marble that isn't the statue. And so you, you know what the song is and you know what it wants to be. And so you're trying to just let it out rather than like impose yourself upon it. I think of the the SpongeBob episode where like, <laughs> <laughs> Dink. yeah, this is perfect, <laughs> right? And then Squidward like adds his like weird nose. like nose, and it's like now it's perfect. And it's like yeah, <laughs> when you add that weird nose, you're like, oh, I'm getting in the way of the song, aren't I? <laughs> thinking about making it more, you're thinking too hard. You're making it to you. You're making it more about your skills and your craft and less about just getting out what was in your head is a little, can sometimes be more pure and a little bit more enjoyable and honest. Honest music is always more accepted in my opinion. Yeah. Do you also like, for your own stuff, do you have like a process thing whenever, because- my EP that I put out last is like not, no, I don't think any of them were like incidental, like, Ooh, this just came out of me. Like all of them were like commissioned or like projects for like a class or something. Anything that I've released was more like that. Yeah. Uh, All of my solo stuff that I've written on guitar and just sing all of that honest music that I enjoy personally, I have not released. Uh, If people got to see me perform it live, that's the only time. I mean, I have some recordings, Mm -hmm. but they're not out. I don't have a, I'm not, I'm not registered independently for a PRO or anything. Mm -hmm. I've gotten really in my head about releasing that stuff correctly Mm-hmm. And so I haven't released it at all. Yeah. And it's not even about the recording process. It's about it's it's about the publishing side and mm-hmm. making sure that it's all released this way and that's all on these streaming services that I want it to be on. And that's, because of that, I got in my own way. Yeah, that's the reason why, like, I'm working on a singer-songwriter slash alternative rock album. Like, the two things that I have on Spotify right now are all instrumental and, like, I'm a singer. I write songs with words, but like there's nothing available for anyone to hear. And so it's like a kind of the motivator that inspired me to release the EP at all was like, if you're not putting out music, then you don't make music as far as anyone's concerned. And, and that was the motivator for me to be like, all right, well I have this music and we put it out and try this marketing experiment. But like, yeah, for, I don't think many people that, yeah, I don't listen to this podcast, obviously, but like people that know of me that I make music, I don't think they know that I sing. Right. And that's my main instrument. I mean, I heard you sing on your last ambient thing that you were doing. You were doing some nice ahs. 
Yeah, yeah. But I know, that always ends up I being I know what odds. you mean. Uh, <laughs> you, you mean like lyrics that you write and you genuinely yeah. sing melodies that you've written. And like this album has taken me so long to like prepare and like I'm still working on it and still producing it. But like, yeah, being like really sacred about like, oh, these are special songs and I got to like make sure that this because it's it's me, you know, Try not to get in your own way. Yeah. I do it. I do it. I'd, and it helps when you have, especially with the solo stuff, mm-hmm. someone to help move you along, mm-hmm. to help work with you, an engineer, a manager, mm-hmm. maybe like just a friend who's really into it. Somebody to say, you know, no, that was good. You should keep that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the role of producer, not in the like electronic arranger sort of point of view, but like the more like, I don't know, classic point of view of a producer of like the Rick Rubin that just like goes in and is like, try it this way. Yes. Try it this way. That was good. Let's move on to the next one because I think we got it. And you're like, was it? But he would know. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he's fucking Rick Rubin. Exactly. <laughs> So it's, it's I've been doing a lot less of the solo singer songwriter stuff, and I have been just pumping out the third third prosy, yeah. which would be uh, like I'm doing lo-fi hip hop stuff, uh, more like producing it on a computer type thing. Mm-hmm. Although I produce it on monomes, yeah. uh, I do it with Dallas uh, using like a little Raspberry Pi computer that I built. And this really weird box of buttons and knobs called the mono. And they're really pretty looking and they blink and bloop. And they don't do anything by themselves until you plug them into a computer because they're not a MIDI controller per se. Uh, But they do communicate on a very basic level with computers and you can tell them exactly what you want them to do. Um, Out of curiosity, what kind of data does it send? OSC. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So it's very open open protocol for you to define whatever you want. It doesn't just have to talk to, you know, MIDI. It can talk Java. It can, you can, you can translate it in all of these different programming languages to do like whatever you want it to do. Mm -hmm. If you wanted it to be a typing keyboard, you'd have to write the program to do that. But it can't. Yes, (laughs) exactly. If you wanted it to control lights, not over MIDI, I don't know, they could do that. You just got to write the program. Yeah. Um, So I'm not smart. I don't write the programs. I just use other people's written programs. And I like to I like to work with the script and program writers to help troubleshoot bugs and stuff. That's really fun and entertaining for me. So there's this monome community, this forum online. And uh, we all it's a very, very friendly, active community with some of the smartest people you could meet on the Internet. Like they I have no idea what they're talking about actually 60% of the time. <laughs> and I'm just looking for these keywords that mean here's a new script for you to try. Yeah. What's the <laughs> URL? Isn't it just like LLLLL? Like- I think it's 8Ls.co. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now I have to check because I know if, if I'm wrong, it gives you a weird website. So I have to check. <laughs> but this thing, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like a forum and it's a community. Like I, I went in there – a long time ago to like see what's up and i'm like oh i'm not advanced enough for this yet yes. <laughs> eight, eight eight lowercase l's dot co 
Yeah. And if you if you want to get in there and understand the monome stuff, but it's not even exclusive to monome stuff. It's yeah, it's, it's not. also a lot like of modular production mm-hmm. stuff. There's a lot of modular builds, a lot of like just weird new hardware yeah. that exists for music making and weird sounds, uh, weird new softwares. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of stuff on there and it's really, really broad and really dense, yeah. uh, but totally worth finding your niche in that little community. Yeah. Uh, well, plus, I mean, what, what it is for you is that like, instead of like, you don't have to be a programmer right. to be able to get into this stuff and you can have a community with people and it's like, oh, someone's a programmer, but they might, they may not be able to use their program, the at the utmost ability that it can. And so like, hey, here it's the same with like video games. Like there are There's developers. A pro- a proficiency. Yeah, there are developers, but then it's like, hey, we need someone to like test it and like see if it's good. And we need, you know, pro players to like break it to see like what we can fix with yeah, it as well. I, I put myself in that position. That's a little bit glorifying to, to what I do. I honestly feel more annoying to the script writers, uh, but that's what's what I, how I, how it feels to me is like, yes, like I'm testing a new video game. Um, but I feel like to them, it's like, man, this guy messaged me again about this thing, not being in time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's monome. That's what I use to make my lo-fi hip hop stuff. Yeah. Um, and that process though is always different than being in a band or mm-hmm. uh, or writing solo because I almost always start with drums, mm-hmm. and I start with like a vibe, like a tonality to the drums or a tonality to like a starting sound mm-hmm. that kind of paves the way for the rest of the song like does this song feel sad is this song rainy and you you put that vibe into the drums yeah like before even creating the sad chords yeah so it it yeah just has a vibe to start off with and that's completely different than what i how i write for the other two ways yeah and the the technology itself kind of informs how you're going to approach it because like you because of the limitations or the the exactly. the barriers that you're going to run into it has you creatively approach and like problem solve in a way that if you just had a guitar it you would approach differently because with electronic music and especially this kind of electronic music there's this big decision of asynchronicity or is it going to be on beat mm-hmm. and how exactly is it going to be on beat especially for lo-fi hip hop Mm-hmm. Because the beat's kind of supposed to be a little messed up. Yeah. It just should have like a push-pull feel to it. Mm-hmm. And with Monom stuff specifically, it can be sort of weird to work with the clock slash click. Yeah. Uh, because on my DIY little computer that I made, there's no output for a click. Yeah. If if you spend good money on the actual Monom Norns, which is gorgeous and this beautiful like brushed aluminum case and a nice screen, and it has its own battery like built in and stuff, it has a it has a monitor output, so you can actually like you could make a click track and it'll come out of the monitor output. And it's all separate and it won't be recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on mine, I just have a little eighth inch output, just like you know. Like. aux cord yeah. and that's that's all you get for the output and i kind of like that limitation mm-hmm. um it makes me think harder right yeah and i mean i i was talking to a different friend about this how like i call it the sandbox problem like if you just if you just have access to like everything and anything 
you like sit down like I'm gonna make something and you're like oh god what yeah, do I what, make what, what do I do but whenever you have like all right well I'm gonna start with drums because that's like what this thing is built for so okay cool I can do that all right what else can I add to it with these limitations and so having creative limitations can have can help you be more creative rather than like, oh, cool, the world is your oyster. It's like, well, I don't, I don't want to anymore. Especially, <laughs> especially with mono, because when you get one of these things for the first time, you're like, oh, so many possibilities, and your mind's racing. You get really excited. And you're like, what do I do though? Yeah. And you start, you start, you know, you try one app or one script, and you're like, this isn't for me. But yeah. it's really cool, yeah. but it's not the sound that I'm looking for. And then you're like, okay, well, which one is? Oh, my God, there's like 400 options. Yeah. And and so you're looking and trying all these different scripts that sound totally different and finding what's right for you and then limiting yourself mm-hmm. because it, there are – even within just one script, there are so many endless possibilities of what you can do with this little modem gear and this computer. Yeah. So finding – the best way to accomplish what you need in that moment, mm-hmm. the best way to do that is by heavily limiting yourself, in my opinion, in my opinion, because yeah. you can be doing drums and be like, oh, this sounds cool, but I want this effect from this other script. And then you kind of get derailed. You go to the other script. You add the effect. Maybe you go back and you're like, uh, it's not – I messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> so limiting yourself is an important process and making that sort of – pop lo-fi yeah. hip-hop normal hip-hop trap limiting yourself can can yield really nice creative results yeah but it's it's also like really specific and like only that pathway will get you that yes. which is what is more yeah i don't know it's like it's more interesting in that way because like you can only make it in this way if you want that sound you have to like follow this train in a way <laughs> like um like sampling drums like old hip hop style speeding speeding up the recording and then recording it onto whatever sampler you're going to be using and then slowing it back down in your sampler after it's slash while it's being down sampled mm-hmm. has a really interesting and very specific effect on drums that makes them really punchy and 90s sounding mm-hmm. and that's something that I've found I really like in my lo-fi hip-hop music, and it's a very specific process to get it there. Mm-hmm. And it's especially difficult whenever you're not trying to, like, steal drum sounds yeah. from some other record. Yeah. So you, like, record a drum loop and then do that process. Yeah. It can. It is a very specific vibe, and like yeah. you're saying, only that can yield that. R.I.P. De La Soul's early stuff. <laughs> I don't listen to enough hip hop. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've just been making it. It makes me feel bad. No, I mean, uh, De La Soul did that, and uh, then the like, all the record companies went after them for like sampling all the different. Oh, stuff. one of and the so, original sampling cases. Yeah, yeah, they they were one of the original ones, and they got slammed hard those darn sample snitches yeah (laughs) yeah now it's now it's like oh if you take even like a snare from like an existing record people will go after you so it's like all right well guess everyone's using splice now (laughs) (laughs) i just uh i've started for some of my percussion just walking around my house and hitting like my bed that's a kick drum hitting hitting my couch that's a kick drum yeah well i'm just doing more found found percussion because i'm like i want to actually release these songs please yeah well on the um on my last live stream i did like only things that i recorded in 
And so instead of using like MIDI instruments or anything like that, I like I did the drums with my mouth and I did like I just put it into a drum rack and stuff. And I think like, it's more fun. Yeah. Well, it, I find it was it, definitely I find a it challenge. <laughs> it was definitely a challenge and like trying to get certain sounds out of things that you just put into it. Rather than I just want to be Andrew Wong. How do you do that? How do you like record a tire and it's like suddenly a melody? It's crazy. Yeah, to well, be able to filter and stuff like that. And editing and, is part of the magic too, right? And but it's so specific, like you were saying. It's <laughs> it's a very specific process to make you know this sound that is not a drum sound sound like a drum sound. Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways to do it, and how which which specific processes you take really determines like. The vibe of the sound, the vibe of the drums. Right, your yeah. your beatboxing can either be like distorted, like grungy beatboxing, or you can like scoop it out and try to clean it up and make it like softer almost and right. just really bring out those uh, drum tones and EQ them out. And then maybe you have something that sounds more like drums and less like beatboxing versus having like really dirty beatboxing as your drums. Yeah. No, I mean, I like, I just did like a into the mic and then I like filtered it and like oh. added distortion and like pitched it down a little bit and like you know it's <laughs> yeah you can take a sound and then like fuck with it and have it make more interesting sounds I really like doing that um, on the mono stuff specifically uh, there's an app called Timber mm -hmm. that is sort of just like drum rack mm -hmm. and uh, it, with, it, with included EQ and filtering options and an LFO that you can attach to like pitch yeah. And really, really weird stuff like that. And there's a great option to degrade quality by mm -hmm. sample rate and bit depth reduction. It's fantastic yeah. because you can – it's like I think the filter is after the reduction. So you can filter out the like kind of crazy you get oh, yeah. whenever you downsample something and you just end up with that – and it's all grody and goes whenever yeah, you yeah. hear that, that low end fade out with a downsampled thing has this like weird – high end that that goes with the low end yeah there's a um, there's a plugin called lossy by this company good hertz mm -hmm. and it's not a down sampler it emulates the sound of like mp3s of like how much more like audio like yeah compression and like the warbly stuff that it does to the high end and like that plugin's been on my wish list for a while, but it's like how interesting that it's it's not it's not a down sampler. It's a like audio truncator yeah. slash <laughs> slash file converter. Yeah. But it's like that is a sound yeah. that like yeah, if you listen to like man, I still have recordings or <laughs> recordings. I still have like MP3s from like LimeWire days. <laughs> how does your computer survive through that? <laughs> Well, it's like, oh, I mean, I was like a wizard in LimeWire because like it, like I would pull up Wikipedia and like make sure the track lengths were correct and like make sure that everything was in the right order. You I would get like album art. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I was really devoted, but like you know, I was a broke teenager. I'm not gonna pay for music. Jeez. I, mean, I used LimeWire too. Right. I ruined my parents' computer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We didn't like. Again, I have two brothers, but, like, we were surprisingly, like, good at it. And so there were less viruses than you would expect from LimeWire. <laughs> but there were definitely some files downloaded that were not the track that they said. 
and that was a weird thing too because I remember whenever like a I think it was Narrow Stairs by Death Cab for Cutie came out. Uh, I had like there were like two or three tracks on there that like were not it, and I was like, why is this so different and like weird and like distorted? And the, yeah, well, because it wasn't that. <laughs> But, like, I, like, vaguely remember. I don't have it anymore, but, like, yeah, that that's kind of the weird stuff that you might get through the internet as well is, like, fake, oh, this is, like, a new Linkin Park track. And it's actually, like, you know, some guy who, like, is trying to pimp his own music and has it <laughs> off his Linkin Park or something. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I have narrow stairs on vinyl. Do you have a vinyl player or any vinyl I records? I don't. <laughs> uh, Man, vinyl got really weird after COVID. Hmm. Um, Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards were did a whole pre-sale campaign to raise money because we really wanted to press vinyl yeah. for this new album. And the pre-sale campaign went awesome. We raised all the money that we needed to. And we were talking to, uh, you know, pressing companies about it in, I think it was like February. Mm -hmm. And we were getting estimated times for printing. And we were like, cool, awesome. Little did we know this was like – this was just I guess mid-COVID I believe and um, uh, the the companies were shut down pretty much but they were still taking in orders and stuff but they weren't pressing anything. They weren't – they were all working from home mm -hmm. and uh, right after COVID ended, they got flooded by the big companies, by rumors, Fleetwood Mac, by all these records, these bigger records that had a demand that yeah. suddenly now they can get that filled. Mm -hmm. No pressing uh, places have any availability until next year. Yeah. So like we were really excited to, you know, have our vinyl record at our, at our album release. And now it's looking like we aren't even going to be able to get the guys that paid in for the pre-sale. We were expecting to have that to them maybe like a month early or right on the date that the album release came out. Yeah. And now they're going to wait till February, 2022. It's, it sucks. We're really looking at like other options. We're trying, we're calling all the pressing companies right now. We're all in yeah. sort of like a panic. There's, There's, I did look into it for, for uh bloom, my first album. And like, it is like, yeah, if you do like 500 versus like 10, <laughs> like the, it is better to have like a bulk, but like there are companies that do like very yes. limited run. Like you can get like 50. These are the people that we're talking to. So yeah. there's there's vinyl pressing companies who will make you 500 copies that are exactly the same. And then there's lathe cut records that will do like, you know, they'll do a run of 50. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason why lathe cut records don't like to do giant pressings like mm -hmm. 500 was because one, that would take forever cutting each individual record. But two, lathe cut records sound a little bit better. They have a little bit wider of a stereo image, although it's not necessarily noticeable to like, I don't, I've got a pretty good ear and I can't really tell the difference between a pressed and a lathe cut record. But it's all the lies that audiophiles tell tell themselves to like, it's worth it, okay? Adding another zero to the price tag was worth it. <laughs> there's there's science that supports it. But but lathe cut records, uh, the trade-off is they are more prone to having like a little defect, to having like a skip built into the record because the cutting process, you know, you and the uh um the quality control process of that cutting process, it takes longer. Uh, you know, what if 
there was straight up an earthquake and during your cutting, you're going to have a big old I would slip right hear there, that, right? Though. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> uh, but so, so there's, there's room for error with lathe cutting and with pressing, there's kind of not. And you can do it a lot faster. Uh, so we're tra- we're talking to lathe cutting companies, but I mean they'll only do. And it's a do- we have a an hour and twelve minutes of music on this vinyl. That's a lot. That's like that's a four records probably. Uh, it's like, two. It'll be two. It'll uh, be okay, du- okay. it'll be a twelve inch double sided bifold record. Okay. Is what is what we're going for. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do color or not. Originally, we had planned this. We have this awesome design, like pretty much ready to give the pressing company. But they aren't pressing colored vinyls right now because it takes longer to actually make like, you know, if you want to do like a speckle or a blend, it takes a little bit longer. And they're so slammed with these big orders that they will not take color options right now. Some of them. You know, maybe an awesome vinyl pressing company will hear this and uh, call Johnny Manchild and the poor bastards and be like, we got you, fam. We will be able to deliver all those pre-orders. No problem. (laughs) One can only dream. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, I haven't gotten into vinyl because it will inhale my wallet. It definitely does. Uh, uh, I mean, I got a new record player and I'm like, sweet, I spent like – an absorbent amount of money on my birthday for this new record player. And it's like got a carbon fiber tone arm and all this crap. And, uh, I have like 50 records go to, go to guest room records. They got an awesome selection and they have uh, local artists on vinyl too. Hopefully our, our vinyl record will be available at guest room records. And, um, you know, I dropped at least $200 and I didn't get that much music. (laughs) I just got some of the really good ones that are actually, that I really wanted and are actually kind of expensive. Yeah. Yeah, no. And that's the thing. It's like, I have my list of like my favorite bands, my favorite albums ever. And so it's like, as soon as I get a record player, it's going to be like, all right, finish the list. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, all right, Radiohead discography, tool discography, uh, brand new discography. Okay. uh, Computer. It's a good one in rainbows, but I mean like all of it. Like <laughs> Radiohead's my favorite band, so it's like I just have to. Those are the two that I. Those are must-haves, so I had to go ahead and do those. Those those were included in the two hundred dollars yeah, for sure. There you go. And that's the thing. It's like oh, also this is random, but like I learned about it recently. Do you know about the zero one ten theory? I don't think so. I feel like it doesn't. I don't know. It, it was, a, I like is this just, a loudness theory? What are we talking about? It's it's a Radiohead like I don't know theory clue something that like the conclusion is that like oh if you like you can play OK Computer and In Rainbows like tandem like not tandem like simultaneously but like one track like woven into another so it's like. Um, I think airbag is the first one in okay computer. And then you play 15 step and then you play, I think it's subterranean and homesick alien. This, this is how much I like Radiohead. Uh, <laughs> but like, apparently it's supposed to like, you know, transition nicely into oh, cool. each other. Cool. Like zipper. The song yeah. Zipper yeah. Into each other. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I listened to it in that way and I was like, I don't know. I know these albums well enough that it just felt like I was going back and forth between the two albums. <laughs> right. I mean, they're mastered differently. I, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like 
audiophile style, you would you would notice something that no, I mean, that like, like separates them. I guess tonally, like they have similar arcs, but there was definitely like a point later in the album where it was like, OK, Computer had like a more upbeat sound, whereas In Rainbows had like more of a toned down sound. So it kind of went like up, down, up, down yes. in the tracks. And I was like, eh, I totally see I, that. I don't know how I don't know about this theory, but it's like people have been talking about it for like. I don't know, since In Rainbows came out. What was his movie called that he had a hand in? That was so cool when they were like doing Suspiria? choreo. Yes, they were doing choreography on the slanted wall. That was my favorite part. Mm. That was a good, <laughs> gorgeous film. Uh, I'd watch that again. I need yeah. to. I need to watch all of Paul Thomas Anderson's films as well, the like Johnny Greenwood scores. Because um, I like, I have a kindred spirit with Johnny Greenwood because it's like, yeah, he like started in rock world, but he like does a bunch of classical stuff too. And like that's that's kind of where I'm at. So I relate to him a lot in that way, even if I haven't like listened to his. I have a weird thing of like I don't like listening to scores of things that I haven't seen yet. Okay. Or um, like there's a bunch of like video games as well that I have on my like wish list or that I haven't like played yet. And you want to experience the music with the game. Yeah, yeah totally. I understand. And so it's like, oh, yeah, I love this game soundtrack. And it's like I will enjoy it. Once I finish the game, <laughs> I feel that that's how I felt about Hyper Life Drifter. And to separate yourself from that and listen to it differently, I don't know. You like remember that moment. You're like, yeah. oh my god, this is the part where I was dying a million times. And then you're yeah. like, oh, this is actually a great song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I shouldn't have been so mad, right? Well, <laughs> not every not every game soundtrack is that good, right. but like, and that's that's a weird thing. Is that like. If the soundtrack works well on its own, what does that say about the game or the soundtrack? You know, because sometimes, yeah, there are game soundtracks that are like, all right, it's just kind of background D music, yeah. which is fine. Or like, straight oh, up annoying. <laughs> sure. <laughs> some some video game soundtracks I would not listen to apart from the video game. <laughs> but like, yeah, uh, Disaster Piece is the composer for Hyperlight Drifter. He's one of my like video game music idols uh he but told like, me his awesome story last time about how i didn't know that he had oh, that oh no heart so disease. the the developer of uh, like the main guy not not the composer oh, i'm sorry that was yeah the yeah composer. That but the composer. yeah for those of you that don't know um heart machine the game developer that made hyperlight drifter the main guy i don't remember his name but like the game director he actually has a heart condition that like basically the doctors are like hey you may not have a long time to live and uh so like he's you know had to have like surgeries and like medications and stuff like that for his like severe heart condition and, and they built that into the game yeah, and that's and that's they, the main character's like thing yeah and that just blew my mind when you <laughs> told me that because i played through the entire game and the poor guy he's in this dystopian future and he's coughing stuff up as like that's like your cut scene like you've made it to a new area and he's like oh god uh, and he's he's hurting and then oh my god santiago told me that the director of that video game has that condition and he has a, like a heart condition where he'll like sometimes cough up blood, and that's just it just got me. Yeah. And now he's now he's infinite in an awesome character yeah. that saves the world yeah. in his video game world. I just think that's amazing. Yeah, 
Did he save the world or did he just kind of? I mean, he well, beats, I guess spoilers, but <laughs> he beats the big boss, right? So yeah, I guess he did what he could. <laughs> he lived a very full life in that video game. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I could go on about video games, but like, <laughs> um, but that's actually talking about games and music and music creation. That, that's sort of uh, what he achieved. He lives on forever in that video game. That's yeah. definitely what I achieved with trying to record and like deliver music <laughs> straight from the brain to the ears, right? But recorded, so it lasts forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's – yeah, kind of how we were talking about like the different avenues of creation. Um one reason I'm so interested in video game music is because of the like dynamic aspect of it mm-hmm. that whenever you're playing a game, the music changes with you. Right. And so And sometimes it's on on a on the depth the depth of that can yeah. get so intense when you have like games like I don't I think Call of Duty did this. They do like surround sound stuff. Like mm-hmm. you can hear where like a mortar or a bullet that mm-hmm. whizzed by you is coming from. Yeah. That just to establish that like each one of those bullets is an individual item in the game and each one of those individual items has an audio clip that goes with it. And each one of those audio clips has a location relative to the item. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? And it goes yeah. whizzing by you and you can hear it. What? Mind blown. Yeah, yeah. Like I would – I really want to know – that process. Yeah, if you've ever played a game with either surround or headphones, um, if you have like a third person camera, you can like spin the camera around you and you can hear yeah, all of the sounds spin around you. Yeah, it turns with your camera <laughs> and it just that's just mind blowing. Yeah. And and that's just like a clever bit of like collaboration between programmers and audio guys. And it just it it, it creates this immersion mm-hmm. when you put headphones on and you're playing a video game and I'm just if I do that yeah you're yeah. not going to get to talk to me for like 2 hours I get I get really really sucked into video games my wife hates it I am 100% <laughs> sure and of course I like yell at my video games too she hates that I I video game like people like what like bedlam like <laughs> OU versus OSU that's how I video game like you no don't do that oh my god yes Yes. I heard I heard you have some Smash skills. I love to play Super Smash Brothers. I've been playing Super Smash Brothers since 64. Mm. My uh half brother, he uh had like an NES Nintendo Entertainment System and I was not into it. I would get mad at those games. The 2D the 2D aspect of it really frustrated me me and I was never good at those kind of games and then Smash came out for 64 and I started beating my half brother and I was like this is it. <laughs> this is my jam. And uh I played it up to melee. I wasn't very good at melee, but I I really liked uh I really liked playing it. I played it with my friends all through middle school and high school. Yeah. Uh and then Brawl came out and nobody enjoyed Super nobody Smash Brothers. Brawl. Nobody wants to trip. Why would you just want to trip around the stage like there's no bananas and you just fall? <laughs> but it was actually really cool. You know, Snake and Meta Knight first time oh. first time in that video game. Uh, and then Super Smash Brothers Ultimate came out for the Switch. Man, I've th- I've put more hours into Super Smash Brothers Ultimate than any other video game in my life. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not bad at it. I could probably like 
play it competitively because I'm that big of a nerd at, at, <laughs> at, at work. If I have downtime and I can like listen, I, like I said, I smash like people, uh, people w enjoy sports. Yeah, yeah. I listen to smash tournaments while I, wow. while I work <laughs> at yeah. work sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, just to see, just to find out who wins. And then if something crazy happens, the commentators know it all, like yeah. go back and watch it. Um, and mean? I mean, Donkey Kong. Okay. And ultimate. Uh, I'm not bad with a, a few other characters. Like I love Captain Falcon because he's so hype. <laughs> um, who else do I play? I really like Pyra and Mithra, the latest. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess now we have a new Tekken character. Yeah, that's that's, that's the newest. So uh, I'm not familiar with that character at all, actually. Like I guess he's like like a demon kind of guy, like half demon, and that's news to me. <laughs> I've seen his character a lot. And I was like, oh. He's uh, he's real angry, um, <laughs> but I like Pyra and Mithra a lot. If I need to play somebody faster, uh, because she's really fast and she's really strong, she dies kind of early. But I really like characters with survivability because I'm I just have studied DI in every one of these games. I just like to know how you know, like how why did you live from that? <laughs> I'm a huge huge Smash nerd, and I and I play DK. Take me on. My name's McNug online. <laughs> And then my like username for uh, Nintendo Switch is C L A S H backslash clash slash. Nice, nice. <laughs> Add me, I'll be your friend. Yeah. Um, did you ever play Project M? I did play Project M. I've I've played the Ultimate Smash Nerd. I have played all of the mods. I have played Legacy, um, uh, Super Smash Brothers Legacy. I was first invited to. Uh, smash like mods mm -hmm. I was in college and they were in the this dude was in the commons room just by himself with his laptop plugged into the TV and I was like oh you're playing smash is that Scott Pilgrim in smash <laughs> fighting a Decepticon like and he was like in the modder community yeah. I really wish I remembered his name and exchanged information with him and stuff because uh, that was really cool to yeah. be introduced to that as a huge smash nerd mm -hmm. and I just walk around the corner and he blew my mind because I think it was I think it was a mod called infinite hmm. I think yeah I think it was called infinite and it had like 120 characters in it and not all of them were fleshed out some of them were just like floating blobs of like here's a character in his move set and then others were like here's Scott Pilgrim with his Rickenbacker bass guitar like smacking Mario around that was so cool please uh, don't do that with a Ray because those are expensive <laughs> <laughs> picking up a Rickenbacker over overhand will void the warranty <laughs> um they're also really nice, and you yeah. <laughs> use them as instruments because they're really nice. <laughs> the, the joke is that anything you do to a Rickenbacker avoids the warranty because if you change the strings, it avoids the warranty. Wow. Right? Isn't that fun? Fun info? <laughs> at least that's how it was uh, whenever I worked at Guitar Center back, like, six years ago. Good Lord. <laughs> Am I old yet? I think so. Um, yeah, I've played Project M. I, the current downloads I have for Project M and the other modded uh, smashes I have haven't worked with my latest up update of Windows. Uh, so I've got to, like, re-download and reconfigure them and see how I can get them working again. So I guess there's a separate, like, train of thought here where there are, I don't know, spheres of, like, mind spaces for creatives that lean into, like, technical side like there are like i don't know if you know Stuart adams 
that sounds so familiar. Yes, I, I remember Stuart. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, he's like not a musician. He like makes some music, but he's like he's an engineer. Yes, a great one. And he's he, yeah. We were paired up on a like project together where we had to just like print like the best, most clean drum sounds that we could get. Mm -hmm. He did a great job. I love yeah, yeah. I love Stuart as an engineer. Right, and and his brain is like technical sound side yes. he like music isn't where he is and like i know that there's like a lot of people like this that like they're audio people and not necessarily music people and there's like a bridge somewhere in there that it's like the creativity is technical and for me like i do have enough technical experience to like know what the heck I'm doing with a microphone and audio signal and stuff like that. I, I am a good audio engineer as far as I know. Uh, <laughs> but like the, the level of expertise that comes from like someone who's like an actual audio engineer, I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm just a creative. But like, it seems like you are kind of in that space because you are in that like technical side. You like messing with mono, not to the point to where you're just like a pure programmer, but like you like messing with scripts and stuff like that. You like modding stuff. You like it. So I guess what is that for you and what draws you into the technical side? Well, for me, the monom stuff, mm -hmm. making that computer type music, that's the, that's bridging the gap for yeah, me yeah. because, you know, I've did a lot of live sound and with working on monom and stuff, it's kind of like having a console Mm -hmm. right there doing whatever you tell it to. Yeah. So it's really bridging the gap of there's all these technical options that I can use with this thing, which ones are correct, which ones will bring the desired result. Yeah. Uh so I don't know if uh I don't know if I favor either one side more than the other. Mm -hmm. Um because music came so naturally to me and uh audio engineering I really did feel like I needed to go to school. Mm -hmm. To that, honestly, like uh, compression and um, exciters mastering, those processes were really far away from me whenever I first started at the ACM. Mm -hmm. And getting that education definitely cleared it all up for me and helped me bridge that ga gap like you're talking about. Uh, it took me four years to bridge that gap. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get monom stuff to work whenever I first uh, approached it, ma mainly because I wasn't asking for help from the community and I was trying to do it myself because I thought, you know, you're in college, you can figure it out. <laughs> nope, you're not a programmer. You can't figure it out. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, it takes a lot of effort to merge those cognitive processes. Yeah. I don't know why I really wanted to so bad. I really like acoustic electronic like taking like we were saying earlier what i said was so fun to me is just taking real sounds and making them into almost like an electronic style drum thing yeah. uh and that acoustic electric taking acoustic instruments and maybe not uh turning them into drums or anything like that but maybe just like really affecting them super weird mm. i love that sort of stuff but yeah. when you're like that's a guitar yeah exactly <laughs> right because and and i'm kind of more on the creative side of it to where like I know sort of concepts and ideas and emotions and had to kind of like approach them in a creative way mm -hmm. but like once once stuff gets too technical my brain starts just like checking out like <laughs> and I feel like I have a good grasp of the technical side mm -hmm. I don't necessarily address it very often 
<laughs> mainly because um, some people won't. There's a lot of terminology mm -hmm. that happens, and sometimes there's a communication gap. And if you keep it a little bit more broad and simple when discussing things like, I don't know, how you want the vocals to sit in a mix. Yeah. If you don't get like super specific with it and you just kind of let this technical person who is adjusting the vocals, you know, take his approach to it, uh, it can yield better results because you're letting someone go through the processes that they know versus expressing a super technical thing that you want. And and this actually comes from experience in the studio where I'm like, I really want to hook up my monom and do these things. Mm -hmm. And the engineer I'm working with is like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I want to hook up my monom so I can reverse all this stuff and I can bit crush all this stuff. He's like, well, let's just slow do your that. slow. Well, let's just slow your roll and talk about the musical thing you want to accomplish. I'm like, okay, I want reverse bit crush guitar. He's like, there's a thing plugged in for that. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, we well we'll use that instead of taking you know 30 minutes, 45 minutes, running ascend, setting setting up yeah. my monom, making sure that it like sounds right. You know, there's multiple ways that a technical person can accomplish something and sometimes it can be more productive for you to let them do that. Yeah. <laughs> versus being let let the musical side work for you mm -hmm. versus letting the technical side get in your way sometimes and vice versa. Don't let the musical side get in your way because you're trying to accomplish something technical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, and I mean I also have a lot of technical brain as well. I mean Music theory is something that, like, I've had a lot more, like, training on. And so, like, I, I can approach music theory in a very, like, technical, mathematical point of view. Whether or not it actually accomplishes something is, is a different thing because it's like, yeah, you can approach something from a very technical point of view. But if it's not yielding you any results, then it's not actually helping. Uh, and so maybe take a simple approach and see if you get those results you yield, or maybe you take that simple approach, but it's not translating to like the recording, mm -hmm. you know, so, but maybe, uh, taking that simple approach, getting the idea down in the recording mm -hmm. will help you accomplish your final result. Yeah. There, there's something about like, so I kind of have two creative processes and, one we already mentioned is sort of like chiseling away at the statue or yeah, chiseling away at the marble that isn't the statue. But then there's the other side, which is just like, I know the building blocks of music and I know the building blocks of writing and I know the building blocks of this. So if I like run it through a process, yes. it will achieve a thing. I've got these bricks. Let me lay them down and see how they fall. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I do that a lot too. Like you'll, you'll take a sound and be like, cool, this is a cool sound. What if I like sequence it like this? And so, so it's just sort of, it's not coming together because it was in your head. It's coming together because piece by piece you're putting stuff together, mm -hmm. literally Yeah. like in usually in the DAW. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that can yield totally different results. But I feel like after you've piece by piece slapped something together, it still needs some magic, something some smoothness on top, together, right? yeah. vocals, uh, uh, something natural to make it feel not chopped up yeah. because that's how that sort of music can feel. Unless it's like dubstep and it's supposed to be chopped up. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, the other part is that like, so in my master's, I like had a piece where I was like, what if 12-tone serialism, but 
not with notes, but actually completely unpitched and with sounds and time. Oh, interesting. Taking the pattern and then random kind of randomizing pitch and time. Yeah, well, serializing pitch and time. Or not pitch, but time and sound. And that's what the piece ended up being called, time and sound, because the first movement uh, serialized, like I took a set uh, and sorry for those of you that don't know, uh, set theory, this is, it's advanced. I, I don't know set it, theory. So. I took a set and like each number in nice the set. set. <laughs> a set is, um, so in set theory, the musical scale that we use has 12 notes in it. So in serialism, you take all those 12 tones and you pick an order, one of the many orders that you can permutate in it. And then you can transpose it, you can reverse it, you can invert it. And so like, oh, if we're going from zero to two, uh, which would be like going up two half steps, we, we can invert it and go from zero to 10. So I do this like every single time I make a lo-fi hip hop track in fifths, but I just didn't know it had a name. So yeah, yeah. set theory. Sure. Well, kind of. Seri well, serializing set theory. Yeah, well – Serialism involves like all of the notes in a set or all of the numbers in a set. This is just math now. Sure. <laughs> I, sure I just – so you take a scale. Yeah. And then you can pitch it up like a fifth and it mm -hmm. still sounds great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or you can reverse it or you can uh, – The monom's really good at that. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you record into a buffer, you have your scale, and then you oh, can yeah. – and then you, the buffer works for you. You can reverse that buffer. It works mm -hmm. like tape. And it also works like a drum rack with pitch and yeah. filtering and stuff. So, yeah, I do that in like every single track and did not know it had a, sure, a sure. theoretical name. <laughs> right. Well, and then there's – so the thing is that when people do that in serialism, it's usually with, with pitches. Right. And so it's like, oh, we have this set of notes and this is the order that they go in. And every time that all 12 of those notes are played, then we will restart that sequence and like, yeah. And that's the – the serialism part of it, um, the order. And so I did that with like the numbers mean different things now. Instead of pitches, they mean uh, a length of time. Okay. And so one equals one sixteenth note and eight equals eight sixteenth notes. And so – Real short stuff. Yeah, I had a, a set of numbers. Do they carry over each other? And then each one – like because of the different ways that you can permute the set, it would generate different rhythms. Okay. Do the do they carry over each other or are they cut gating each other? Uh well they were they were just setting the time. And so like because it went, let's say, like one, seven, two, five, three, then it would be like a short note, a long note, a short note, a long – so like that would sort of – it would total out to be the same amount of time because the entire set would add up to like – But are your notes choking each other or is your half note and – Well, they would go after each other. Okay. So they're not. They're 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 in, in order and that – and you're, yes. you're permutating your rhythm and changing the rhythm is changing the composition. You could like carry over bars, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was really difficult for humans to play. Uh, they did it. It's Those a percussionists that's a lot of did it uh, <laughs> counting like really crazy. well. And I, I had like 
each hand was playing a different instrument. Mm, polyrhythms. And, and so they had like a staff. They had two staves that they were looking at. Yeah, one hand was doing one rhythm, the other hand was doing the other rhythm, and they freaking did it. They're, percussionists are time wizards. Uh, <laughs> and then the second movement was like with sounds. And so it's like now instead of doing durational sets, the number chooses, the number which, chooses sound which sounds happen. And so it's like this one was snare, this one was tom, this one was uh, crash cymbal, this one was splash cymbal, stuff like that. Um and there were also like sets of rhythms because if we just have the sounds, people's just kind of like resting and like waiting for each other. And so I just had sets of rhythms. And so each number had like, oh, one equals four quarter notes. And so whenever you get one, you play four quarter notes on this instrument. Right. Uh, on this sound. Yeah. And so all of that is to say like, it wasn't fun to listen to. I can really like all of this explanation that I'm giving you is really interesting to like conceptualize and like, ooh, cool. How interesting to like apply numbers to different values and like permute it and see what happens. It's like rolling dice and seeing what sort of things come out. And that's what makes like D&D interesting. This in a way, whenever you're playing a video game, it's also kind of being a random number generator. But then once you like apply it to actual sound and music, it's not very musical at all. It needs it needs some. That's what that's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. It needs something on top to glue it. And honestly, that's all it needs. Mm. If you have all, if you have this choppiness, if you have this randomness, all you need is like four on the floor. Yeah, yeah. And you're locked in. Yeah. You know, and that and that can then those p patterns have a base. And and I'm not saying you like you should have put four on the floor. Oh, obviously, right. obviously that was like a very cool like like we were talking about earlier, like an acoustic like, electric experiment mm -hmm. experiment where you're like writing electronically mm -hmm. and performing acoustically, which yeah, is yeah. very very cool. I'm into that. Right, but like that's why people are so <laughs> like disillusioned with academic spaces. Is because stuff gets so like up its own ass that yeah, I was gonna say in its own head, but sure, a little too meta. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Up its own ass too. It can feel pompous in that right. situation. If someone who just like, oh, I like Billie Eilish and Olivia Rodrigo, and then they like walk into this concert hall, and then it's just like these weird rhythms are happening with like percussionists like robotically playing this weird thing, and they're like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> avant-garde enough yeah exactly and it's i mean like like you were talking to about like some of those people in the in the lines forum are like yeah they're doing cool weird avant-garde electroacoustic type performances almost like noise like yeah not even like is this music yeah and it's like it's cool in your head right and then and then you look at the audience and you're like oh none of them are having a good time <laughs> yeah well, they actually are, though. They're there to enjoy it. But sure. even still, it's not like you're going to be like, woo, yeah, at the yeah, end. Yeah. Do another one. Okay, that was 30 minutes, but all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and once you go, like, too far into the technical side, you, like, lose the, the heart yeah. that kind of – You start to lose some of the honesty because it's all technical. Yeah. And so it's interesting and it's neat. Mm -hmm. And the passion kind of comes from, like – 
creating it and conceptualizing it and like discussing it and putting it together. But the thing itself doesn't really have heart or passion in it. And I, I feel like I've heard in some of your, your like, especially your recent streams and stuff too, you're using these experimental processes, but you're, you, you're making them very digestible. Sure. You know what I mean? You, you found a way to, to make them a little bit more um, palatable just to the listener in general while still using these really interesting approaches. Yeah. It's also like because it is a performance type brain, sure. I'm trying to instead of like, ooh, what would be an interesting idea? My brain is going, what will work here on the fly? to just add to the sound and make it just keep going. And that's a different brain space too, because you, yeah, like you could just have like a full on like creative session, which is, which does involve just like, boom. No, I don't like that sound. Ding. Eh, maybe going boom. through the file. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. it's picking through the sounds and being like, all right, I like that. All right, let me try this thing. That's 90% of a producer's life. Right. Exactly. Unfortunately. Yeah. But it's, I don't want to do that to people and I don't want to – like it's not interesting to watch exactly. for so you, so you as wanna, many people. So you want to have something set up that will build – that will yield itself to build up and continue – that you can continue to work on in interesting ways that aren't just this is the sound. Here's where it's going to go. Right. Uh, last thing. What's something that you're playing, listening to, watching, reading – that you want people to know about? Well, I guess I'll give my answer first, uh, which is I'm still rocking Ben Levin. It is really good. Uh, Ben Levin's music and videos are very creatively inspiring. Him and Adam Neely recently did two albums, actually. They did 24-hour live streams, and they made albums in 24 hours and like full composition songwriting production recording that's very in 24 impressive. hours all the way to mastering uh oh, not mastering oh okay um but I mean, like still it was ready for mastering i'm sure so. yeah yeah so it's like 35 40 minute long albums with like yeah the lyrics are sometimes kind of nonsense sounding and the sounds are really strange or the performances aren't perfect but like this is literally made in 24 hours and like it's one of the coolest and most inspiring things because like what we were talking about earlier like you can get in your own way and be like oh like i want it to come out perfect and stuff like that and it's like well look at these guys they're literally just pumping it out yeah cranking it out it doesn't matter if it's perfect it doesn't matter if like the greatest thing that you've ever done is just like, hey, let's make something cool and creative. I've seen a couple YouTube videos similar similar to that. And, you know, they aren't all winners, but genuinely, like when they finish, at least one song is actually just great. Yeah. Like you're like, that's a good that's that's a jam. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe the others, maybe the others is like this techno trance song. Not my jam, but the other one that you did that came out really well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Ben Levin's been my jam for a while and inspiring and all that stuff uh new things that are coming out well monum since we've been talking about them did just release a brand new 128 grid it's really bright white leds that are variable brightness 
and um, really small, tiny aluminum case. And if I remember correctly, it's like less expensive than the previous grids. I, well, it's still kind of expensive. I think it's like 500, but um, I mean, for the open sourceness of it all, if that's something you're into, then that's that's pretty awesome that it's cheaper than it used to be. I've thought about it. I've thought about getting it. Um, Can it output like different values per button? Yes, it outputs different values per button. It, it has, it's kind of like, what it outputs, uh, serial OSC, like if you plug it into your computer mm-hmm. and you hop on the forum and you open up like Max for Live, mm-hmm. that's one of the programs that works with it very, very directly in a good user-friendly way. Yeah. Uh, you'll pull up an object, serial OSC, make that object, and then it, it'll output basically just a matrix of numbers, one, one, zero, one. It'll tell, it'll tell you whether it's on or off. The button is on or off. Uh, it'll tell you whether the LED is on or off and then it'll give you the like position in the grid, which, which button was pressed. So it's, it's once you like break it down, it's, it outputs very simple stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just being able to educate yourself as to how you want to break it down because you can do that in a lot of different places one of the easiest being max for live one of the more difficult uh being like i don't know c plus plus you can you can do that if you want uh and then the little sound computer that they've released for it it speaks lua which is a coding language that i didn't know about at all until they said this is what this speaks and looking at it and just trying to study it and talking to the community I was able to learn like a little bit about it mm-hmm. and I was able to write some simple scripts even though I suck at programming and I didn't know that you were just supposed to like grab lines of code and like copy and paste them over to your stuff I was sitting there typing and I'm like oh <laughs> this was supposed to be a lot shorter <laughs> and you can just talk to the community and they will teach you how to code for this little computer like it's it takes some weeks and weeks to like understand what you're doing. And there's, there's tutorials that you follow, but it's pretty easy to learn how to code for these little things. Yeah. If, if I could do it, it must be easy. Yeah. Um, so Monom, awesome company to support. Mm-hmm. And they've got some new stuff that just came out. Uh, I'm really, really proud of the two people that I used to be in a band with. Uh, actually, I guess three, because Linka was also in the Dulcets for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And Linka and Jason Scott and Mallory Eagle have all just kind of taken off on their own. Mm-hmm. And I'm not bitter about it at all. I'm so proud. Oh, yeah. uh, Mallory is doing fantastic things uh, for the female community here in OKC and really doing a great job of collaborating with other female artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Jason, he's going out to like random uh, bluegrass and and country festivals, and he's getting all over the place now. And we were just playing weddings together, and he's yeah. like basically a star now. I'm yeah. so proud of them, yeah. all three of them, of course. And of course, Linka is doing amazing things for the Latin community. She basically is like the queen in OKC right now. So, <laughs> yeah, very proud of all of them. No, I mean it's the same thing with like. We just talked about Don't Tell Dina, but like I used to play bass for Don't Tell Dina. And like the best thing that could have happened for Don't Tell Dina was me leaving the band. <laughs> because like they've just gotten so much better and like everything that they're doing is like so much cooler. And I'm sure it's benefited you as well be to oh, be yeah. able to do this podcast stuff and yeah. do all this awesome editing. And you've become very self-sufficient since then. So I'm trying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anything else that you want to plug or tell people to, to check out go to the johnny Manchild my poor bastards album release show on november 5th at the tower theater did i mention that yeah tight i mentioned it again <laughs> <laughs> well now you just mentioned it again 
So, I mean, and of course, stream the album when it releases. Uh, and McNug will be releasing as an artist very soon. So keep an eye out for McNug if you like lo-fi hip hop. Cool. Well, Chris, thank you so much for doing this with me. Where can we find you and your thing? Thank you, Santiago. Really, uh, me and my things don't exist. My personal, my personal stuff. I don't have any um, of those acoustic solo recordings, or the lo-fi hip-hop stuff. It's not out yet, but it will very sh- soon be out, and it will be on SoundCloud under McNug question mark M C N U G question mark, and uh, Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards at Manchild.band. We have an awesome merch, merch shop that's gonna get updated pretty soon. Uh, once we have this uh, new line of merch coming up uh, around the album release. Uh, so keep an eye out for new merch at manchild.band and please go support your local artists. Sweet. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Chris Lashley. I love you. <laughs> you can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. I have an EP, a short album, that is streaming everywhere right now. It's called Soundbites. The music you're hearing right now is from Soundbites. Listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else you stream music or buy it on Bandcamp because a single purchase is the monetary equivalent of streaming it all day, every day for a year. I'm also working on another album. So if you'd like to hear that at some point, you can buy my music or you can support me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Santiago Ramones. Follow me on Instagram to stay up to date with all the stuff that I'm doing, both at bit.depth and at Santiago Ramones Music. There's also a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. Go to santiagoramones.com slash discord to join. If you like the podcast, leave comments on social media leave reviews by saying how much you like the podcast and tell your friends about it. I really couldn't be doing this without you and I'm so very grateful to continue doing BitDepth for this long. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting BitDepth. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.